This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab. Adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is On the Media. I'm Michael Lowinger. This week saw the conclusion of the campaign to shut down one of the Internet's most toxic forums, a site you've probably never heard of. We did it. We actually did it. So many people have tried for so long to do this, and we actually got Kiwi Farms down. That's Twitch streamer Clara Sorrenti, a.k.a. Keffels, celebrating the takedown of Kiwi Farms and its founder, Joshua Moon, earlier this week. Before it was taken offline, anonymous users on Kiwi Farms spent the month of August targeting her for being a trans woman and for speaking out against anti-LGBTQ laws. Stalkers repeatedly doxed her and her family members and left them threatening voicemail messages. Saved message, 1.31 p.m. Well, your personal information got posted all over the internet, and I'm just letting you know that someone special has it out for you. Don't worry, nothing that is going to happen. Just a friendly reminder, have a nice day. Harassment campaigns against trans people, journalists, influencers, activists, sex workers, all sorts of people became the site's raison d'etre after it was founded in 2013. It's a way to archive every movement of people they deem to be a lol cow. That's NBC's Ben Collins, who wrote about Keffels and Kiwi Farms last week. Lol cow was generally to them a trans person. They were going after people who were frequently private citizens. They archived their every movement, their every address. People lived their lives in actual terror. Josh Moon came from image boards, places like 4chan and 8chan. He was an admin at 8chan, which is one of the moderator functions, but sometimes they get paid there. He worked with Fred Brennan, who created 8chan in the Philippines. You mentioned that recently they've sort of sharpened their gaze specifically on trans people, but they would also go after sex workers, any person online that they perceived as morally not to their liking for some imagined reason they would target. And they would almost turn it into a game, it seems like. Yeah, it was an alternate reality game. The way I always viewed it was that Kiwi Farms was a library with a turret on top. Basically, it was a place to collect everybody's information. You know, say, like, this is where they live. This is where they're going to go. This is where they've been. This is their family. This is where they work. How can we go to the top of the steps and deploy this weapon? You know, when they did use the turret, they would do things like call a trans person's boss and tell their boss that this person's a pedophile, and why are you employing a pedophile? And try to get them fired from their job. And these are people, usually private citizens, so they did not know what was happening. Sometimes they didn't know that Kiwi Farms was behind this. So that was one of their tools they used to harass people. Other times they would 
you know, obviously SWAT them. The end game is to use the state to try to terrorize or murder someone by calling in a false report. And that's what SWATing is. So these people were using various different weapons atop this library they had built that was constantly being updated. And that was the difference between 8chan or 4chan and Kiwi Farms. 8chan or 4chan, those self-delete after two or three days. There are other sites that archive them, but it's not searchable. It's not easy to find this stuff. Kiwi Farms was a database for all the perceived enemies on the far right. And there were consequences to these types of doxing and swatting attempts. At least three people have committed suicide after becoming targets of Kiwi Farm harassment campaigns. It's impossible to know how many people actually did commit suicide. A lot of these people just leave the internet. They try to make it so these people cannot have a life on the internet. They try to make it so anyone who associates with these people in real life, not just the internet, have consequences. They are swatted or targeted themselves. And they did this anonymously for years and years. And that's why this week, when Kiwi Farms started to crumble, people started sharing their stories in public about how this may have saved their life because they could start doing things in public again without constantly being worried that someone was going to find them and kill them. Why exactly did Clara Sorrenti, a.k.a. Keffels, the Twitch streamer, become a target? Is it just that she was a public-facing trans person? What, what exactly put the target on her back? She had become a popular Twitch streamer. Over the course of time, she built an audience. She also became someone who would reply to people on the far right on Twitter and try to get them ratioed or, you know, made fun of basically by a lot of different people. That got her in ire of Kiwi Farms' user base. But this happened very quickly. Somebody a couple days ago said that Keffel's speed ran Gamergate. This happened so quickly. She went from being the target like everybody else and being in this state of despondence that this would ruin her life to killing the website in a month, which is pretty remarkable. This all kind of started in early August when members of the forum began doxing her, posting her personal information online, and it really escalated when she was swatted on August 5th. Yeah, on August 5th, police came to her door and she, from her bedroom, had to respond to these police officers who had their guns drawn on her about accusations that she was planning to shoot up the local city hall in London, Ontario. That's because someone sent a police tip that she was going to do that. So she had to leave her apartment and she took her cat with her. Once she got to the hotel where she was staying in London, Ontario, she took a picture of her cat and there was a picture of bed sheets because the cat was on the bed. Kiwi Farms users found her hotel based on just what the bed sheets looked like in her hotel room. Then they started doing all that there. They sent her tons of groceries and pizza and started attempting to swat her at that hotel as well. So then she thought, I'm in grave danger here. I have to get out of this country. So she flew to Northern Ireland, Belfast. By using the picture of a doorknob in the background of a stream she did from Northern Ireland, they figured out where she was. And then within hours, someone was outside of her home in Belfast with a picture of themselves and a note card saying they were from Kiwi Farms. Until Keffels, it seemed like there was a conundrum for journalists for extremism researchers, for victims of Kiwi Farms about what exactly to do, how to respond, because it was a pretty obscure website. And so the potential for driving traffic, new users to the site, was pretty high just by covering their harassment campaigns. And so what do you do? If there's no coverage, there's likely going to be 
no possibility for accountability. But if you do cover it, you're kind of just feeding the flames. Yeah, you don't want a Streisand effect this, right? Part of the issue is with anyone who was targeted was that Kiwi Farms would index first on Google if you search their names. Hmm. They had very good Google SEO. And if you're an employer looking at someone's name and you open that up and that's what you see, you're not going to want to associate with that person anymore. Um, that is the scary part of this whole thing is that they used the data centers that we have, the massive amount of data collected by these private companies as a weapon. And by the way, this happened with Claire. Her Uber account was hacked and then they had access to her every movement. They had access to where her friends and family lived, where she got Uber Eats from, all that stuff. And they used um, it to send her groceries and yep. yeah, I mean, it's when you hear one of these nightmare scenarios that you really are reminded just how much documentation there is on you at all times, thanks to voluntarily giving your information to apps and websites constantly. If you're buying something from a website where things seem like a little bit too cheap, that data is probably being sold somewhere. Also, you probably haven't logged into Uber since like 2014. Like most people have downloaded the app, right? Yeah. And if you're doing that since 2014, your password was probably like password or something. Like there was no. Oh, I see. Emphasis. Logged in. I see. Logged in. Physically logged into Uber. Like no one has signed you out. So you've been logged into that account since since you know you had very insecure passwords. So that's probably how they got in there to begin with. One woman I follow on Twitter who is like a sex worker and a New York-based academic, she was talking about like how you hear these horror stories and you say to yourself like, oh, well, I'm great at OPSEC. I'm a privacy-minded person. Right. The people who are doxxed, it's because they made a mistake at some point and they revealed too much about themselves. And this woman was saying that whoever doxxed her on Kiwi Farms says that they spent over 50 hours looking at her tweets for information about weather history, wherever she was living, and then compared this to weather histories around New York and compared this against a list of New York-based college professors. I mean, that is like some extreme stalking behavior that no normal person is going to have any foresight to anticipate. Right, and that woman isn't a political firebrand. That woman isn't like Donald Trump or something, no. right? <laughs> that woman is some person. And all it takes for you to get their ire is to disagree with them in some capacity. How did Keffels fight back? What did she do that was so successful? Because she had the ability to leave her home and flee twice, by the way. And she had a fan base that was fighting back, creating this hashtag campaign to try to get them dropped from Cloudflare, which was this service that basically allowed Kiwi Farms to remain online. Because she had that large fan base who were themselves an army, themselves trying to fight to make somebody else's life hell. She was able to fight back. Part of her savvy seemed to come from knowing how to communicate with journalists. She set up dropkiwifarms.net. A lot of her followers went there. They helped get the hashtag dropkiwifarms trending on social media. There was really one company in particular that they needed to convince that Kiwi Farms was a serious problem, and that's Cloudflare. Yeah, Cloudflare provides DDoS protection. So if your site is flooded with lots of traffic, or even like a modicum of traffic at this point, based on how large the web is, it helps basically organize that traffic so it doesn't go down. 
there are not many service providers that offer this. Cloudflare know how to do it really well, and they are the number one provider. They help support something like 20% or more sites on the internet, basically. Like, they're kind of everywhere. Yeah, that's why when 8chan was dropped from Cloudflare a couple of years ago, they really didn't survive it. They had to rebrand, they'd do all this other stuff. Even their rebrand is not an easily accessible website. So Cloudflare for weeks resisted this. They initially just did not respond to anyone. They couldn't tweet anything without being inundated with stuff, so they had to delete all their tweets. They put out a statement, I believe it was last Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Basically, it was this big manifesto about how we have to leave up speech we don't agree with, all this stuff. I think it took them a lot of coverage, including potentially our story, which just identified how many people have died, how many people are in immediate danger to understand the threat here. Our story came out Friday. Then by Saturday, they pulled down the site saying there was an imminent threat to human life. But that wasn't new. No, it was eight years old. They buckled to peer pressure. That's really what happened. And they realized the press wasn't going to get any better once more people were aware of what the website was. That's really all it was. Once people actually looked at the facts here of what this website existed to do, more people would be aware that they were hosting an anti-trans terror website. That's the thing. Is like The conversation about this stuff has to catch up to the reality we're living in. Because otherwise, we're going to live in a very dystopian panopticon where everyone's move is watched. Everyone's Instagram post is looked into in the background if they say something that is viewed as unacceptable. Currently, that is affecting trans people. But that can affect the rights. Yeah, I mean, I was about to say, doxing was an art perfected by the anti-fascists of old. Yes. This is a, an, an instrument that can be used by anyone for any political purpose. That's exactly right. And like, look, that's, <laughs> that's what I've been trying to say for a very long time now. And I, I really hope it gets through at some point. What's the best way of putting this? So there is this large collection of data on the internet that targets specific people. And you can use it to target anyone. So right now you have an option. You can take down this site that exists to harass people and you know uses extra legal ways to harass people, frequently illegal ways to harass people. But these people do it without consequence because there are no good ways of finding them. Those places can exist and be armies. And then the speech of regular people in this country, citizens of this country, is quashed because they can't fight the army. So right now we have more self-censorship because they are afraid of living their lives. They're afraid of doing normal stuff, taking a picture of themselves at like Disneyland or something, than the criminals are of stalking and harassing and attempting to murder people with swatting that they disagree with. So the speech implications here are not, should this website be up or not? It should be, do people get to live their lives on the internet? And do they get rights to speech that only armies have currently on the internet? <sighs> So what do we do? How do we <laughs> mitigate this dystopic current moment? Uh, these providers have to stop playing footsie with crazy fascists. They have to realize, do they protect individual citizens? Do they protect the rights of people on the internet? Or do they protect gangs and militias and online troll armies? I don't know if you can have both. So that's the most immediate solution because it's a free market solution. Everybody loves that. <laughs> and then there are laws that you can pass, data protection laws that make it so you can't just trade around this data broker stuff. It would make journalists' lives harder. It would make it so figuring out if the guy who gave you a quote and event is who he says he is. Right now we can look up their phone number and be like, does that match? 
It would make our lives harder, but it would make it so dark data broker sites, places that sell data on top of the goods they sell. If you can ban those data brokers from making that public if it's collected without people's consent, it's a really good way of stopping this sort of data collection. It's not gonna prohibit it all, but you can at least make a dent here and just make it socially bad that you are stalking people out of the country and trying to get them killed with the use of police violence. Don't consider that speech. Ben, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. Ben Collins is a reporter covering disinformation, extremism, and the internet for NBCNews.com. That's it for the Midweek Pod. Tune into the big show this weekend. One of my favorite reporters is in the guest host chair. You won't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it.